Welcome back to the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I'm Andrew Whaley. This is episode 29. 29. We are almost 30. So at what point does our podcast get to have a midlife crisis? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't happen around in your 40s or 50s usually? I don't know. I'm 44 and I haven't had mine yet, I don't think. Well, maybe you're due for a midlife crisis. I think I am due for one. Um, I'm going to grow a ponytail and buy a red convertible. What exactly are we talking about? Something about plastic surgery, right? We're going to talk about, well, we're talking about a big topic of the augmenting of the perception of what human physical reality is, like right. what people look like. So right? for those of you who have had your head under a rock for the past four or five years, there is this new term out there called augmented reality, right? which is a ridiculous term that somebody in Silicon Valley made up, but we have to use it because it, it, it's becoming part of the, the mainstream. The zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. If you will. Uh, so part of it began with things like Google Goggles, which you may or may not have ever even heard of, which was a program you could put on your smartphone and point at things like a building or whatever else, and then it would give you information about the businesses in that building or... And now with Google Glass, you can have it in your... They don't even have Google Goggles anymore, ridiculously. Uh, You can only use Google Glass to do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that... um, I mean, another another good example of it would be uh, an app you can put on your phone to help you buy wine when you're in the store. Right, where you can take a picture of a of a wine bottle, and they'll tell you information about that wine and the reviews yeah. that's gotten. Or just like the little Amazon app that you can be in a real bookstore. Yep. And you can scan the uh, scan yep. the book. Firefly. Yep. And then you're like, oh, you know how much it would cost on Amazon. Exactly. People yeah. people actually do this with garage sales. Uh, they'll take their smartphone to a garage sale. They'll scan the the barcodes on books and you know look them up on Amazon to see how much they're worth, and then you buy know, them if you can buy sell them if they can resell them. This would be like used book. Uh, uh, wow, that's really people. interesting. So. So, anyway, so augmented reality is a thing, uh, and there are all sorts of different implementations of it well, all I, over the place. I don't know that I would consider this augmented reality. Oh, I it's mean, totally the same thing, don't you think? Uh, I don't. Okay, well, let's just talk about what we're talking about, <laughs> and then we'll talk about what we should call it and okay. the ramifications. All right, so, so we all know that for a long time, uh, images of people in, on magazine covers and whatever else have been messed with. Yeah, Photoshop is... Photoshop's been around for a while. Well, there's that video... There's a video that went viral about six months to a year ago on... It was on YouTube. And it was a woman who was pretty enough. You know, it is a pretty woman. They had her made up a little bit, and she came in. And I think she was... You know, she was either scantily clad or whatever. You know, they had her lay down and did like a, a typical, you know, fashion photo pose, right? And then it went into high speed... And it yeah. showed all the stuff that they do with Photoshop, and they trim her down here and lengthen her legs and do this and change it, and made her eyes bigger, and, and it was like she ended up looking like this glamorous, crazy person that was completely different than she was. Yeah, basically a space alien, <laughs> but a really pretty one, a really pretty right. space alien. Yeah, you know, they just basically they just take everything that's like a trope for like beauty in this culture, and it's like they can make they can augment you. To look like that, right? So Photoshop... Part of it is makeup and a lot, but a lot of it is computers. Right. Air air retouching and airbrushing. And you never see pores or, you know, or or wrinkles or anything unless they're very digitally kind of like purposely managed, right? I think that that video was produced by Dove Soap, uh, which has had this like long-term campaign uh, against the kind of digitification of beauty and that kind of thing. Right. And so... Um, 
And that, I think it was more than a year a year ago. It was maybe like five years ago. That well, that, no, this that was video a came out. I think I'm maybe thinking of a different one, but I mean, there was maybe it was maybe I just saw it a few years oh. ago. But anyway, so the point being is that everyone knows Photoshop can affect still images in a way that are complete can really alter reality where you don't see what a person actually looks like, right? When we and we kind of still grow up, at least I grew up, and this kind of idea that. Painting is an interpretation of someone, but a photograph is a capturing of what was there, right? Well, and then we find out the Photoshop actually is not really uh, – modern photos are more of – and we see this by, like, you know, with uh, Instagram. You can put filters on things and stuff like that. It's like uh, photographs have become much more like paintings in that way. But you think when you see an actress or an actor walking around in a film, that's what they actually look like. Right. Well, an an article came out on Mashable a couple weeks ago, or about last week, and it was they out they outed a thing called beauty work that's been being done in Hollywood evidently for like fifteen years, where they can retouch video on the fly and basically do the equivalent the equivalent of Photoshop editing to the physical image of a person in non CGI kind of films and take away pores and tighten wrinkles and get rid of jiggly underarm fat or whatever, all the things that all the signs of aging or, you know, tighten abs and do whatever stuff to the point that the money quote from this article was this guy that on, you know, anonymity under, under anonymity said, look, no one looks like you think they look. Yeah, in these movies. In these movies and stuff. And so that got us talking about, is this a modern thing? Or is this something as old as the hills? Is this just something we do as human beings? This idealization? And the communication of an ideal? Or so Maybe we could just kind of zone in on why is it that things like this, whether it be 3D photoshopping in a movie or Photoshop in general, that is done to make people look more beautiful or more glamorous. Why is that disturbing to us? Hmm. Because it feels like a lie, I think, in some way. But we're, we should be used to it, makeup and, you know, different garments that make things, you know, look differently, you know, shapers and like the Spanx is like the big right. thing in the modern world, right? It's like, you know, you can suck things in and push them up and, you know, do all this stuff, you know? You know that the, uh, the founder of Spanx uh, is, I think, the richest woman in the world. Really? I think uh, she's, she's one of the few female billionaires. They say if you build a better mousetrap, you know, <laughs> the, the world will be the path to your door. <laughs> Evidently, she figured out what that mousetrap yeah, was. And so. You figure out what is a – I mean, that's a good thing in the entrepreneurial life in this is if, you, if your goal is to make some money is you figure out what people are afraid of and what haunts them and then find them a way to cope with that in some way and you'll make money. Yeah. You know? might be P90X or whatever. You know, guys are worried about getting old and they want a way to get in shape or – Maybe women just want a way to look like they're in shape or something, or I mean, it's like or anything, you know. It's like a, but I think that what you and I were talking about earlier is like when you look at these statues in Greece of famous people and emperors, they're all buff and stuff, and they don't look like well, no, the no, real so that's not people. entirely true, right? So some of so the the earlier Greek um, statues of human figures were very idealized, but over time uh, they become more realistic. Hmm. Right, and then in Rome, you get you get both things going on. So you have these ideal images of, say, the Emperor Augustus, right. but then you'll have later uh, images of other Roman emperors uh, or or Roman senators, other important people, um, 
that are realistic portraits that show you know their warts and moles and all of that stuff. Right. So it's kind of interesting that there's there's a little bit of back and forth in the ancient world about this, but that the original artwork is all about depicting this sort of ideal human form. Right, and then you look at like um, like Egy- the Egyptians, and it's funny because now we have a really weird opportunity in the past you know several hundred years of the Egyptians because we can see a picture of the propaganda on the on the wall of here's what this pharaoh looked like but we have his mummy and they go in and look at it and it's got skin folds and stuff and everything he was incredibly obese maybe right teeth rotting out of his head but in the picture you know it's like vogue or cosmopolitan you you put the the idealized image out there for hoy polloi to have a look <laughs> like, at right like you know? the shirtless putin <laughs> <laughs> the shirt. Well, you know who? Maybe, Vladimir Putin, no shirt, holding a tiger, maybe, and his shotgun. Maybe that was. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, maybe he was. Um, maybe he was photoshopped, but uh, they could. But I, 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 I like the idea that I wouldn't mind if we had a leader that was a little, you know, a little more manly and buffer like that. You know? Oh yeah. Well, anyway, I, not that I'm a fan of Putin, just for the record. But we don't do politics on the podcast, though, so we're not going to talk about Putin. Oh my goodness! That so no, but you're right. Country that, invading. So there's something of propaganda in all of this, right? That we we don't like being propagandized to, right? We don't like being duped by the information that right. we're encountering, and this is something that I thinks. But we do like being duped. Uh, yeah. We don't like knowing that we've been duped. Yeah, maybe that's it, right? We we like to be able to look at things and see something that we dream of. Right. We either want, here's what we want. We either want to know we're being duped, but it'd be good enough that we can let ourselves go and let ourselves be duped, or we want to not know we're being duped at all. Like I went and saw Interstellar last night. Okay. You probably everybody's seen it. Spoilers ahead. There's, they're showing some pretty fantastic, crazy stuff. But what I was really, I've always been impressed by Nolan's work in this way. It was gritty. There's dirt in. The, there's you know dirt and, and and steam and it looks like you know this thing's and could fall apart and it's got a, a keyboard that you have to hit take a glove off to hit you know it's like it's it was tactile right and there was these robots in there some of the weirder shaped robots I mean I don't know who came up with the idea for these to be the shape of the robot in Interstellar but it is the weirdest robot you've ever seen and it's the and the way, but the way that they moved and the way their sheen was and kind of got dirty and there was dust on them and stuff, it felt real. Now, obviously, I know that it's, they're not really in a spaceship out by a black hole. Okay, I know that. There's no such thing as a wormhole, or maybe there is, but that wasn't one that was created in CGI. But I like that it was, it liked that it looked real, right? So we kind of like somehow we want, even if we know we're being duped, it's more. It affects us more if it looks real, right? Does that does that make? I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of well. No, no, no. I think you're right. But it, I think the what, what scares me about this uh, is the sort of 1984 effect of it all. Right, right. Right. In that, in a in a world of digital information, uh, if somebody who's really really powerful wants to, it'd be very easy for them to change the record. Oh, absolutely. Right. In in a world of non digital information. 
you can't do that because information isn't centralized. You have a thousand libraries with a thousand copies of thousands of books, right. and if they go destroy one library, then the other libraries are going to protect their books more more closely, you know. And and you can go look something up somewhere else. Or let's say you live someplace like London, where supposedly so you can be out in the countryside of England, leave your farmhouse. And drive all the way into London, go out and have dinner, and, have, and you're on a camera almost the entire trip, even if you're starting in a rural area, mm-hmm. right? So, what if somebody wanted to frame somebody, and they said, "No, he was at this restaurant at this time, and here's a video of his car driving down the road to get there. Right. Here's video of him getting out of the car. Here's the and, and and maybe we get to the point to where you can cover your tracks and do it so well, and it's grainy or something, and you can't tell that it's been altered. Yeah, I mean, it is very 1984 because I mean, they're still part of us. Whenever we turn on the news." And they say, police are looking for this this man. Here's footage of him breaking into the pet store and stealing the dogs or the money or the diamond or whatever, you know. And we see this. We go, oh, well, they got him. They got him on camera. They got him. He's on camera. Right? Well, maybe, uh, maybe on camera doesn't mean what it used to anymore. Right. right. Which is very 1984-E-ish. Oh, yeah. You know? well, I mean, I it's mean, a, I mean and, and as we've seen, you know, after the Snowden revelations with the NSA, right. can you imagine, like, if, if the NSA decided we want to eliminate this news story about this event? Right. They could. You could scrub it. They really could. I mean, they could go into every single network that has a copy of that and completely destroy it. Or. And that's terrifying. It's just terrifying that that's possible. Or, I mean, or the, the more terrifying thing is. When you have in the modern world, when you have like a media that has just collectively chosen not to talk about certain things, sure, like and, the fact that the president is a chain smoker, right? Yeah, and, yeah, for and example, it, yeah, and it just you just never see a picture of it, yeah, right? It's like or just it's anything like that, right? I mean, there's just certain things that are off limits, and if something will happen, like the here's the movement A has a big march, and they make it look they only show images that make it look like there was millions of people there and then like movement b has a march and they really did have like close to a million people there and they don't ever mention it right you know so it's like that's pretty scary that that scares me more than digital alteration right it's kind of the collective kind of groupthink alteration of reality and we all but now the internet is kind of fixing that because people don't just get their news from the from the yeah, from the, I wish the big the, three anymore. I you mean, know? the internet does democratize the media to some extent, but not to the extent that it probably needs to be democratized. And it makes it easier to lie about things too. Oh, of course, because you can just say whatever you damn well want on the internet, and people will just. Well, uh, well, the other thing I was going to say is that you've you've probably seen this where a, a news story that's controversial will get released on a yeah. website, and then there will be some sort of correction that needs to be made after people start reading it, mm-hmm. and the editors will go in and tweak it. On a good website, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I mean, I, I've seen this sort of thing, like, say, on the Washington Post website or something. They will indicate that they've made changes, and they'll show you what the changes are. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they make changes without telling you. Right. So then, I mean, it used to be that if you wanted to go and consult, the, like, the record of information, you went back to the edition for that day, and you could look at say, the microfiche or whatever of the New York Times from a particular date in 1927. Right. But then what, what really is the historical record if it's something that's dynamic? 
and continually right. changing, and the editors are kind of constantly tweaking it based well, and on that's, feedback. Okay, this this goes there. Here's something really to the point: when you have a smaller microcosm and you have more total control over it, talk about 1984. They revelations have come out about how things are in North Korea, mm-hmm. and when someone falls out of favor, and then. Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un right. will go have them killed. They erase them. Yes. They go back in all the official photographs. They take them out of that photograph right. standing next to the people. They take, they take them out of the history. So inside of a generation, no one will know this person existed. They kill the memory in addition to the person. Yeah. They, you, you, they erase you. They scrub you out. That now that's an extreme environment where sure. a very small few have very total control over a very limited amount of media that a small amount of people see. But take that maybe that's an eleven. You dial it back to a, like a seven, and that's what we've got. And that's frightening to me. You know that would be another good podcast sometime to talk about thinking about like Snowden and all that. What are what are, what conspiracy theories over the years that have been shown to not be to yeah. not be crazy? Yeah, they were confirmed. We, we yeah. were crazy, right? You no, know, I know, like right? you know, like people, the American government experimenting on whole towns by dropping you know chemicals out of planes and stuff back in the forties or something like right. that. And but like think about it, a few years ago, here's two off the top of my head. We could talk about this later though. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, if you use the word Bilderberger. You, the, you know, the Bilderberger group and all that. Right. You were wearing a tinfoil hat and you probably just do get all your news from InfoWars and Alex Jones or whatever. You are a tinfoil hat wearer and you're nuts, right? And then they did a press release and admitted they exist. And now you can see pictures of their meetings. They really, a bunch of power brokers really do get together every year in an elite hotel and talk. Yeah. They hold a press conference now. Because it got out that they exist, right? Yeah. And a few years ago, if two a year and a half ago, two years ago, if you just said, you know what, the NSA is tracking every one of our phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dude, take the tinfoil hat off. Come on, I know. Come on, you're a little paranoid. The, the NSA is not recording all of our phone right. calls. Well, it turns out actually they were. Right. So it's like, I mean, what else? Well, I just think it means that, you know, in this media consumption world that we live in, what is real and what is not real? Like, there's a very fine line between those two things. Like, what is fact? What is fiction? It's hard to know a lot of the time. You know, and, and so, you know, we're talking about in terms of movies and photographs, right? But the same is true, I think, also in terms of news and information. Right? That we, we, we really don't know, and we don't really have a way of knowing a lot of the time what right. is fact, what is fiction. And, and that's, that's pretty scary. I mean, think about this. You you go from a time you go all the way back to pre industrial pre pre technology in I don't know, like hunter gatherers or whatever, you only see things either in reality and nothing is moving faster than a cheetah. <laughs> so it's like you've never seen a car race by at 100 miles an hour. You know, you've never seen, you've never been in a train watching. The, you see everything up close in normal light with unaided eyes, no glasses, and 
You see it. Maybe you see the bowl painted on the wall or whatever, but it's like clearly that's there's, a... Yeah, there's basically no media. I mean, there's no media. That's a very, very crude representation. You wouldn't mistake that with reality in any way. And then you get to like, um, you know, paintings and in the more crude... Sculpture. Sculpture, then more sophisticated sculpture, and then more realistic paintings. And it's just kind of gone and gone and gone. And it's like... Um, if you think about how much of the day I am either looking at something through a screen, I'm looking at something through lenses all day long because I wear glasses. I'm looking at everything. I've most of Denver that I've seen, I've seen it roughly 35 to 70 miles an hour flying by me because I saw it out of a car. Right. It's like, it's funny. We're really moving away from that tactile, natural, sensual impression interaction with the, the natural world and, the, and, the, and even the, this reality in general and the artificial world, the made world, even buildings. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't experience reality in that way. Let me actually give you a metaphor for this that might be uh, interesting and helpful. It has to do with typing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that uh, if you think of the origin of the typewriter, and like the way typewriters originally were, they were mechanical devices, right? Right, where your finger hit a button, uh, which pushed a lever, which had a little letter on the end of it that stamped onto a piece of paper right. through a ribbon, and made a letter. And you used, have you ever used a mechanical typewriter? I took typing in high school. Yeah, but did you have an electric typewriter or a mechanical typewriter? I had an electric typewriter, you, but I have you type- gotta you gotta use a mechanical okay, typewriter. Okay, just for the record, those are actually not very expensive, and I really really want a one. mechanical typewriter. Yeah, I might buy myself one. I for had Christmas. one that I inherited, but I think it got thrown away. And point. there are still people making the um, ribbons and everything you need for mm-hmm. it because some writers prefer them. I really want the. I love the idea. So, so what's happened over time, right, is that you went from the mechanical typewriter to the electric typewriter. Then you went from the electric typewriter to the original PCs. Then you went from the original PCs to the laptops and whatever else. And the keyboard over time has gotten less and less and less and less and less mechanical. Right. Okay. So to, at this point now, most keyboards are what they call rubber dome style keyboards, where there's basically two layers of rubber that have electrical contacts. And when you press the buttons, it connects those two rubber layers. Mm. But the earliest PC keyboards tried to replicate what was going on in the uh, electric typewriters, which right. were trying to replicate the experience of typing on a mechanical typewriter. Right. Um, so the earliest keyboards are actually the most mechanical, and a lot of uh, writers, typists, and gamers prefer mechanical-style keyboards, ones that were made in the early 1980s. Right. Uh, because of that tactile feeling. There's a, there's a modern keyboard that's been created that has the mechanical feel of an old mechanical typewriter and you can plug your like iPad into it and then and you actually have to go you slide it to return like you would wow and it's like and it makes digital print yeah. right but that's yeah you know what and what's really fascinating about this is I look you look at the keyboard on our laptops and they're qwerty Right. Keyboards, right? The Q U Q W E R T Y on the left hand side on the top row. That key the thing that we all learn to type on that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people are still typing on was built in a way to slow you down. Right. Right. It was to spread, spread apart the most frequently typed letters so that those mechanical arms didn't hit each other right. in the original mechanical. Right. They didn't want to because you didn't want you didn't want to get jammed. Right. So 
it's funny. A lot of people have made the switch to getting different keyboards. Right. And learning how to type faster and faster and faster because you can actually, there's no type. Because with the rubber dome thing, you don't have to worry about the gumming up right. thing, right? So it's, it's interesting. Now, what I've gotten interested in is I just updated to iOS 8 on my iPhone. And it seemed like the text recognition, the speech recognition is better for some of the programs. And I can now write an email pretty easily by just sitting and speaking verbally. And it, and, it, and it translates it pretty yeah, well, accurately. I mean, I always the, test it. Have you heard about yeah. the new Amazon Echo device? No. So this is, this is interesting because it's kind of like, finally we're getting what computers were like in Star Trek. In that <laughs> everybody, right? wants, everybody wants a right? computer. Uh, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a little device. Uh, it's just a speaker, basically, that you connect to your, your iPhone or your Android device or whatever. Actually, I'm not sure if it works with iDevices yet. But um, anyway, you just talk to it. And it answers your questions verbally, right? So you, you just can, I mean, obviously at this point it's rather simplistic, but you could ask it a question, you know, like, what's the circumference of the earth? And it would tell you the answer. And, you know, things like I that. really want, I think I want my tricorder, you know, I want to, you know, there's a, I read about this thing and I don't believe it. I really want to see it in action or read some more about it, but supposedly... They've created a little machine. I think it may be something you attach to your iPhone, or maybe it's just a little handheld thing. But you can point it at food and let it scan it, and it'll tell you what's in it. Wow. So, like, so it'll, it'll see gluten. It'll see, it'll see, it'll see anything. That's crazy. It'll see chemical makeups. And I guess it does do spectrometry or something like that, but it's like, it'll tell you how much fat and what. It's like, that must I'm be like, insanely expensive. It wasn't. It wasn't that much, actually. And I'm like, really? Can they really do that? Because that's getting very tricordery. Somebody did come up with a medical scanning device that's quasi tricorderish, right? Where uh, it would be, it would be for like a nurse or or a doctor, where you could point it at a person, and it would tell you their temperature and their heart rate and all those sorts of things. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're getting there. <laughs> Look, and I still want my jetpack. You know what? I thought 44. I want I, a flying car. I mean, I thought at 44. I would be married. I have six kids and a jetpack. And a jetpack. And I'm still single. And I want my jetpack. So if you have a jetpack, <laughs> call me. <laughs> I don't get. Where's my jetpack? I mean, um, they did just make a hoverboard though, like in um, like in Back to the Future, the skateboard that hovers. Yeah. But you have to ride it on a on a on a metallic surface as a metallic. Um, it's a it's a it's a magnetic ramp. Hmm. And I saw Tony Hawk actually trying it out, huh. but it's hard to steer because there's no friction. It's frictionless, yeah. basically. But it's like you could ride it, and it's you're floating a couple inches off the ground, and it, you can actually hover. They've they've made a hoverboard. No. Oh my goodness! Talk about getting far away from reality. Oh my goodness! We've got far away from the reality of our topic. <laughs> but no, I mean it, it depends on where we're which direction we want to take it. But no, I just I just think that there has been a tendency in man over millennia to idealize humanity to idealize reality into art forms right um and that's not all bad no but where it does become really heinous and evil is when you start um over over idealizing i think to the point where rather than sort of introducing an ideal for people to strive toward or to think about or to contemplate or to admire the beauty of Instead, you're doing it really to sell product, like to move things off the shelves and to provoke envy, and that you end up having, you know, um, 
you know, young teen, teenage girls with horrible body image and eating disorders right. or whatever because they see these pictures in magazines and, and, and movie stars and movies that are actually not real people but, but, that have been but, highly modified. But before, before any of this even happened, I mean, I'm thinking of two very particular, one older, one old and one way older. Okay. The first one would be Michelangelo's David. Sure. Okay. I mean, he built all the ratios on that based on, you know, the, uh, the divine proportion and all that stuff and the remedial extreme ratio and all that. If you saw a human being that actually had the proportions of the David, he would be horrific. He would be a monster. Like his arms are too long. His hands are huge. I mean, it's like, if, but it looks right when you're standing there looking up at it and seeing it. It has a certain symmetry or whatever, and it's beautiful, but it doesn't look like a human being. Actually, when you really start measuring it, it's way off, right? Now, the more recent one that is like that is Barbie, right? Right. I mean, Barbie is a freak. For her to have that chest size and that hip size and that waist size and, and the those height. and the height and those ratios and those that the ratio the eyes to the chin and all that I mean she would be a freak and there's a there's a woman in it's Russia like, like, who has altered herself as much as possible to look like Barbie's ratios and she's pretty and kind of a strange almost alien quasi bizarre kind I mean she's bizarre looking. It's not right. And she still can't do the whole thing because you couldn't be that way. You'd have to remove ribs and stuff. You'd have to be 10 feet tall. You'd have to be 10 foot tall and remove ribs just, and have breast implants and like all this crazy, have your shins lengthened or something. I mean, she's a freak. Barbie is a freak. Okay, so at the risk of sounding a little bit irreverent, it makes me think of the Pieta. Yeah. Uh, in that if you do the measurements of the Pieta... Right, it's Mary holding Jesus on her lap. Right. But if you actually stood Mary up, yeah. Right. So the, the Pieta looks kind of like a triangle. In right. The form. Right. Right. But if you stood Mary up, she would be about eight or nine feet tall. Wow. Um, but Michelangelo made the proportions like that because he wanted her holding him in her lap like a mother. Right. right? And so something very beautiful about it in this triangular form, but that actually the the math doesn't work out. And so you see other idealized forms. And I think that what this gets to, you hit it already on the head. There's idealization for the sake of shaming or creating envy or creating something kind or of moving product, moving product. Right. And then there's obviously like Michelangelo doing something with the David or doing the Pieta. There's reason that he's trying to use the human form to create, to communicate something else some form of symmetry or order or a theological reality in this. Um, like I'm thinking about El Greco and the, the, the big long necks on kind of some of those paintings in El Greco. Uh, and, um, but, but then let's move backwards to say like icons. They're obviously very stylized, very idealized sure. forms that are repeated and stuff like that. But the idea in that is clearly not to fool the eye and, and it's to communicate something else about these things. It makes right. you think of those icons of Christ with the really big eyes. Right. You know, um, it's kind of meant for you to like have a window into heaven, kind of. Um, well, that's what an icon is. It's a, it's a, yeah, exactly. The whole idea is to give you like a little snapshot into this otherworldly kind of thing. So, but so, so taking reality and putting it through a filter and representing it. It's something idealized. It's not something new. And it's always been, right. and maybe it's been used for propaganda. You make the, the emperor statue look really robust so that he gets, a, so the people don't revolt because they think he's strong. 
right. or Putin takes his shirt off and holds the tiger with a shotgun or whatever. <laughs> it's like, but but then Barbie's there to move product and and shame girls to th- into an unreasonable body image until they don't eat or cut themselves or whatever. And it's right. like, you know, um, it's a it's a it's a it's a weird deal. I mean, it's well, it seems like uh, that there's a, a kind of tightrope walk here, right? And then on the one hand. You don't want to um, over-idealize and present these false images in right. a way that make people feel terrible about themselves. But on the other hand, um, we do want the images that we see to be somewhat idealized. Right. But, I mean, I mean, so, okay, one of the things that makes me just laugh about this in American culture, right, is just about, um, oh, what do you call it, weight, right? So, you, you know, you go to the, the grocery store and you see all of these magazines of all these people that are, like, super ideal-looking. Right. Uh, or, or even if you, like, watch a, a sporting game, right, you see all these athletes that are, you know, the paragons of, of physical fitness. Mm-hmm. But then all of the commercials are about food, <laughs> right, and about all-you-can-eat buffets and large steaks at Outback or whatever, you know? And, um, oh, you're making me hungry. Do you, but you know what I'm saying? And, and, and so then if you actually go to those places where people actually buy food and people actually eat and you look at their bodies and you compare them to the bodies of the people on the magazines and the people playing on the football field, right. they're pretty different. Well, right. It's like you look at the average, you look at the people in the commercial for Coke or Pepsi or some other sugar water. Right. And they don't look like the people wad- waddling through the airport, you know, right. with, with pre-diabetes. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, and I, I'm, I, 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 I'm a big fat guy myself, so I'm not pointing any fingers. But you know, if I, if they wanted to be honest, they'd put me on the Pepsi commercial. You know, like have me, have me sell Cheetos. Hey, you want to look like this guy? Eat some Cheetos. I mean, I wouldn't exactly sell Cheetos for the most part. <laughs> it's like you know, but here's where this gets really interesting and really kind of darker, right? Is these what it does to the the women's image of themselves but then in the modern world with all this photoshop work all this um unrealistic uh, makeup and all this stuff and then all this action a lot of the guys are viewing all this through the lens of viewing pornography and there's a modern um uh, problem that psychologists talk about where guys who have been heavily addicted to pornography are no longer actually attracted to normal women. They're not a normal woman. It's a woman you would just meet at the cafe. Well, I mean, she's got, she hasn't been through the Photoshop, right? She did. She hasn't been through the, she hasn't been airbrushed. I mean, she's got pores and maybe, you know, a little hair on her arm or something. She's got something that is, she's, she's imperfect. She's, she's, she's human. I mean, right. she looks human, right? And and they've gotten used. And then and then you take that. Oh, then obviously, then you take that beyond into the relationship, and heaven forbid, into the bedroom. And there's all these presuppositions about what that's about, which are even darker and even more pervasive than the actual physical look of these people, right? But it's like it's interesting. We're presenting, and I guess the reason why this is so important is we're consuming more and more and more and more of our quote unquote reality. Through, through media, through yeah. a media, through a screen, or through a, a printed page, or something, and so that's giving more and more and more power over to the people who censor, or change, or augment. Right. This I mean, stuff. Well, just just think of um, the people that end up seeing in movies or on television. Right. Are for the most part models. Right. 
Right. And so if you spend four hours a day watching television, as I think it's most American children do, right. which is terrible in and of itself, right. then the people that they're looking at are almost all models. Right. right. Whereas the people that they're actually encountering in their life are not. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. <sighs> right. Because I look in the mirror in the morning and I think I look normal because I'm beautiful like a model and that's what I see. Right, but then people that aren't beautiful like me are confused because they don't understand. Right, <laughs> I'm at least two models, probably about two point five models. But <laughs> wow, well, whether your beauty, male models, whether, whether your beauty is skin deep or all the way to the core, uh, we are not sure. But we are sure that we have finally reached the end of another episode of the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck, and I'm Andrew Whaley. <laughs> <laughs>